0: Hello, Westside Family Church. Woo! What did I do to deserve that? Man, whether you're here uh, at Lenexa Speedway or you're watching online, here is the heart of Westside Family Church in case you're new. And if you know it, say it with me, Westsiders, ready? We are God's family, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus to raise up Christ-centered families in our city and beyond by wrapping God's family Around your family, we know where we're going. But here's the deal. Uh, Media and Hollywood and special interest groups, who, by the way, aren't that really large in number, are trying to destroy our families. They really are. And they've got us by the jugular. But here's the reality. Those of us who embrace the traditional idea, God's design for family and what it means to our kids and the next generation and to our students. Where are our students at? Woo! Woo. (laughs) Those of us who embrace that, um, we are in the majority. We really are still in America, we're in the majority, at least for the moment. And this small group of people um, have really got us acting like a circus elephant. Uh, You you recall that uh, a circus owner who has a baby elephant will tie the baby elephant to a small stake in the ground when the baby elephant can't pull the stake out of the ground and get free. Here's a picture of a baby elephant uh, tied to a stake in the ground and feels relatively hopeless, right? But the reality is that elephant gets gargantuan and has the ability to pull the stake out of the ground and to get free, but it doesn't think that it can, so it doesn't even try. We are the giant elephant here. And when we unite together around God's idea for family, it is time for us to pull the stake out of the ground and get ourselves free and reclaim our families under the authority of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Take a look at this picture. This is what we need to look like right there. So if you're with a member of your family, you're with your wife or you're with your your children, Uh, I want you to grab hands in a show of solidarity. If you're next to a friend, like all of our students, grab hands with each other, a show of solidarity, and make this ancient declaration that Joshua made, Joshua 24, verse 15. Say it like you mean it. Ready here? It's on the screen. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Absolutely. Now, getting fit to fight for our... We're going to get excited today. Getting fit to fight for our families... Uh, Needs to start with a rock solid foundation. And so, in this series, Fit to Fight for the Family, we are opening up scriptures and reminding us of the foundational principles of what family and marriage is all about, and then inviting us to be courageous, whether you're married, single, or single again. To get on board with God's principles. And we started off this series uh, with a foundational idea of what God says marriage is. Open up the scriptures and gave it to you. I'm going to put it on the screen and remind you, those of you who are brand new, uh, they missed, missed that part, you can go back and watch it again. Marriage is a covenantal union between a man and a woman into oneness for a lifetime. Reflecting the image of God for the purpose of bringing new life into the world and caring for that life. Man, you start yourself with that foundational principle and it'll never lead you astray. Now that you have that firmly fixed in your mind, in your heart, we now move to the question, well, what does the Bible say, what does God say about me finding the right person? Students, you gotta be interested in that one. How am I gonna find the right one? We opened up scriptures, particularly 2 Corinthians 16 and verse 14, and we came up with this principle, put it on the screen. I will only date and marry a strong, proven, committed follower of Jesus. Yeah, that's what the scripture says. And if you follow that principle, it will guide you into paths of righteousness and of joy. And some of you who didn't follow that can say amen to that for sure. So now you're married. Now you're married. Things are getting a little dull. You know, the palms aren't sweaty anymore. The heart-pounding infatuation goes away. Then all of a sudden, someone appears at the office. and Your palms are sweaty again. The heart-pounding infatuation comes up again. And you think to yourself, the words of England Dan and John Ford Coley's song, those stud muffins from the 1970s, Oh, it's sad to belong to someone else when the right one comes along, and uh, those words pop into your mind and hit you right in the heart. I met you on a springtime day. You were minding your life, and I was minding mine too. But baby, when you looked my way. I had a strange sensation, and darling, that's when I knew. Oh, it's sad to belong to someone else when the right one comes along. Oh, it's sad to belong to someone else when the right one comes along. I hate when he appears on my shoulder like that. Speaking truth, oh, it's sad to belong to someone else when the right one comes along. Poppycock! Do you know that in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 that the scripture tells us that whenever you make a commitment to your mate, you are making the same kind of commitment that Christ made to the church? Do I need to say that again? When you, whether you knew it or not, made a commitment to your mate, you were making the same kind of commitment that Christ made to the church. And aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't say, oh, it's sad to belong to someone else when the right one comes along? says it about you. says you're kind of you're getting old. Your hair's falling out. I'm gonna trade you in for a new, fancier model. You know, men, you make a good dresser but your middle drawer is sticking out, you know? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, aren't you glad Christ doesn't say bye-bye, right? So here's the thing, if you're taking notes, once you say I do, the key question shifts from how do I find the right person to how do I be the right person? We're gonna put that on the screen and why don't you take a look at it and and take some notes. Let's uh, wake up the backstage crew. There, come on, wake up, wake up. There you go. Boom. See, I asked for it. it appears. Okay. So, it shifts from how do I find the right person to how do I be the right person, and this becomes your obsession. This becomes your preoccupation. You stop looking around for someone else, and you get at becoming the person you promised your mate the day you stood up and shared your vows. And I've seen so many Christian marriages fail at this point because they didn't make that commitment. They are Christians because they have received the forgiveness of Christ, but they fell short of a commitment to full-on discipleship, of growing in Christ, which is essential for a successful marriage experience. In this way, the Bible becomes, every passage in Scripture becomes a marriage manual. We can talk about specific passages that explicitly talk about marriage and family, but in this way, the concept of discipleship is applied to marriage. Uh, The scripture tells us that every single passage of scripture can be put under one of two buckets. The first bucket is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the other one is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the idea is that applies to marriage is that the first step for me is to be in a dynamic relationship with God where not only am I loving God back, but more importantly, I'm learning to receive the kind of love he wants to deposit in me. It's not a toxic love that I currently have, but rather it is a pure love. It is an unconditional love. And then he invites me to take that love he has poured into me and pour it out for the people around me, particularly the one I spend the most time with And that is my maid. And when you do this, uh, you look at every passage of Scripture and apply it to your marriage. As you're becoming a follower of Jesus, this will lead you into a pathway of success. So what I want to do today is take a passage of Scripture that doesn't explicitly talk about marriage, but yet apply to the marriage relationship as two followers of Jesus come together. The famous passage is in Philippians chapter 2. You can turn to your Bibles there, go to the West Side app, as we read the inspired words of the Apostle Paul. He begins in verse 1, chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness, and compassion. I want to stop there for a second. What, what, what Paul is saying is, like, if you have found any benefit from being connected to Jesus, if you found any benefit, for example, you really like the idea of eternal life, even though you don't deserve it, if you find that as a benefit, or you really like the idea of being forgiven by Christ once and for all, even though you keep on sinning, if you like that idea. If you like the idea of now being connected to a new community of believers, getting rid of the toxic relationships and joining up with a band of people that are moving your life in a good direction for a change, if you like that. Or if you're in a spot where you've really benefited, you see the benefit of, of once you became a Christian, that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, was deposited in your life to give you the power to live an amazing life. If you see any benefit in that, Paul's saying, then make my joy complete. He's kind of offering a help me help you proposition. If you've seen any benefit in what Christ has done for you, then I'm gonna ask you to trust me in what I'm getting ready to say next. Now, if you don't see any benefit in it, just forget about it, but if you do, then I want you to trust me in what I'm getting ready to say next. Make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Now, I want you to apply this to married couples. Paul's saying, I'm going to ask you to be on the same page with this because this is how it works according to scriptures. It can't just be the wife being on the page, same page with the word of God. It can't just be the husband being on the same page with the word of God. It requires both of you being of the same mind and the same kind of love. And this is where it breaks down when you're both not committed to it. It's a whole other message to talk about what do I do if my mate is not committed to it? But in this moment, the goal, the vision, is for both of you to be of the same mind and execute on the same kind of love. Not only having the same principles, but the same kind of love, meaning is the word there in the Greek is agape, the love, that pure love that God is pouring in you because of your dynamic and daily relationship with God. You're simply pouring that same kind of love out to each other. Now, Roseanne and I, this December, will be married 40 years. 40 years. Come on, give it up for us, man. It's been a... And, and, and here's the deal, I, I kid you not, uh, we have a great marriage. <laughs> we do. It's hard to believe, but we do. And, and, and we've asked ourselves the question, how did we get here? How do we get here? And we have both concluded over and over again, it's because both of us, both of us have been committed to becoming an increasingly effective disciple of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit with in us. We got married when we were 20 and 22. I'm not going to tell you which one of us was 20 and which one of us was 22, <laughs> but she's a cougar. <laughs> and we were immature, but how do we get 40 years into this and have what we have right now? It's because of what Christ is doing through our mutual commitment with each other. Now, Paul says, I want you to be of the same mind and the same kind of love and the same spirit in what I'm about to ask you to do. Now, before you commit to it, let me tell you what it is, and then you can decide. He said, do nothing. Say nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. That can be applied to marriage, right? I want you to circle the phrases, circle the phrases selfish ambition and vain conceit. I have seen these become marriage killers. I've seen couples, hundreds and hundreds, over my 30 years of being a pastor, I'm standing up on stage and they're before me and they look beautiful and they're stars, and their sparkles, and they're beautiful, and they put off an ecstatic wedding ceremony, and they start off with ecstatic love, ecstatic love and hope, but they are not paying attention to these two things, and little by little, it creeps in, and it's just like putting a little bit of arsenic in each other's coffee every morning. Over time, it's going to kill your marriage. The first one is selfish ambition, which means what? Always needing to get my way. The phrase vain conceit means always thinking I'm right when in fact I'm not. (laughs) The word vain conceit in the Greek language that Paul wrote is only one word. It's the word kenodoxia, and it carries the idea of empty pride. So being around a conceited person is not very much fun, but there are some people who are conceited well, because they're good, right? I mean, they're good at what they're being conceited about. Take, Remember Muhammad Ali? I am the greatest, you know? That's a bit conceited, but he probably was. The greatest. Vain conceit, or empty pride, refers to a person who thinks they're great When in fact they're not, it's empty. You have become a legend in your own mind. Your attitude is, I'm right about every single subject all the time on planet Earth and maybe beyond. You need to be the president of the world, not just of the United States, because you're so smart. And some of you are like, yeah, that's really a good idea. I like that. (laughs) I like that idea. The fact is that most of us on a good day, or are only right 10, maybe 20% of the time because we're all ignorant and different subjects. Do you know, and some of you do, how miserable it is to live with a person filled with vain conceit? And here's what I've discovered. Praying to God, I am not one of them, is that most people who live out a vain, conceited attitude don't know that they are. They don't know how they're coming across to other people. They don't think their stuff stinks, period. So what are some resolutions? There's two resolutions that Paul is giving. First of all, humility. Write that word down. Put those two things down for the sake of your mate. Humility is putting those two things, selfish ambition and vain conceit down, for the sake of your mate. We know that becoming like Christ will lead us to an amazing life individually, but the primary reason why we are committed and called to becoming like Christ is for the sake of another person. In this case, for the sake of our mate. Now, who is the model for this? You might have guessed it. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, man and wife, whatever relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, by the way, laid it down for us. When Jesus left the heavens, he put himself in a vulnerable position and gave up so much to be wrapped in flesh, and he ultimately laid down his life on the cross for us even when we did not deserve it. That is our model for our relationships with each other. And this becomes the key. If you're writing down the second resolution, it is this. My mission is to become like Jesus for the sake of my mate. For better, for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. I want to tell you a story, a true story, about a college president that is writing about his marriage. So I want you to just settle in and lean in as I tell the story. He writes, it's been a decade since that day in Florida when Muriel, my wife, repeated to a couple vacationing with us the story she had just told five minutes earlier. Funny, I thought that's never happened before, but it began to happen occasionally. Three years later, when Muriel was hospitalized for tests on her heart, the doctor called me aside and said, you may need to think about the possibility of Alzheimer's. At first, it was unthinkable, but then this writer, this college president, a man by the name of McQuilkins, traces the long descent of his wife as she has to give up one thing after another. He writes, she had a ministry on the radio and that had to be given up. She was involved in public speaking, and that went away. And she was involved in writing, and she had to stop that. She counseled people, and she had to quit that. Muriel never knew what was happening to her. Although occasionally, if there was a reference to Alzheimer's on TV, she would amuse aloud, I wonder if I will ever have that. It it didn't seem painful to her, but it was a slow-dying to watch the vibrant, creative, articulate person I knew and loved gradually dimming out. Then he he writes about his dark road where he has to struggle between the rest of his life, his work, and for caring for Muriel. It was clear to him in his case that God was calling him to care for his wife and he makes note that he doesn't mean that everyone handles the situation the same way he does, but it was clear to him that this was called his call to love and care for her. So he continues to write, such a delight to me, I don't have to care for her, I get to. One blessing is the way she's teaching me so much about love. For example, God's love. She picks flowers outside, anyone's flowers outside, <laughs> and fills the house with them. Lately, she's been, uh, she began to pick them inside too. Someone has given us a beautiful Easter lily, two stems with four to five lilies on them and more to come. One day I come home, I came to the kitchen and there on the windowsill over the sink was a vase with a stem of the lilies in it. I learned to go with the flow and not correct the irrational behavior. She she means no harm and doesn't remember the rebuke. Nevertheless, I did the irrational. I told her how disappointed I was. That the lilies would soon die and the bud would never bloom and please do not break off the other stems the next day our youngest son soon to leave for india in indiana came for his next to last visit i told my son ken of my rebuke of his mother and how badly i felt as i sat on the porch swing savoring each moment together with him his mother came to the door with a gift of love for me she carefully laid the other stem of lilies on the table And with a gentle smile, turned back into the house. I simply said, thank you. My son said, you're getting better, Dad. (laughs) Mural cannot speak in sentences anymore, only in phrases and words, often in words that make little sense. No, when she means yes, for example. But she can say one sentence, and she says it often. I love you. The one sentence she has left. Not only does she say it, but she acts it. The board has arranged a companion to stay at our home so I could go to the office. During those two years, it became increasingly difficult for Muriel to stay at home. As soon as I left, she would take out after me. With me, she was content. Without me, she was distressed, often terror-stricken. The walk to school was a mile-round trip. She would make the trip as many as 10 times a day. "'Sometimes at night I would help her undress, "'and I found bloody socks. "'When I told the doctor he choked up such love,' he said. "'Despite desperate to be near to me at all times, "'thus she teaches me day after day. "'Family and friends often ask, "'How are you doing?' "'Meaning, I take it, how do you feel? "'I'm at a loss as how to respond. "'There is a subterranean grief that will not go away. "'That's the darkness.' I feel just as alone as if I had never known her as she was. The loneliness of the night hours comes because I did know her. Do I grieve her loss or for mine? Further, there is the sorrow that comes from the increasing difficulty in meeting her needs. But I guess my friends are asking not about her needs but mine. Or perhaps they're wondering in contemporary jargon, how am I coping? as I reflect on the alleged indispensable characteristics of a good marriage that have slipped away one by one. I came across a common contemporary wisdom in a letter in a national newspaper columnist. This is how the letter letter went. I ended my relationship because it was not meeting my needs. The counselor's response was predictable. Do you still have those same needs? What would he have to do to fill those needs? Could he do it? Needs for communication, needs for understanding, needs for affirmation, common interest, sexual fulfillment, and the list goes on. And if, and if the needs are not met, dot, dot, dot. He offered no alternatives. As I reflected on the eerie irrelevance of every one of these criteria for me, for those needs can no longer be met, and if life is just about meeting those needs, then the course is pretty clear finally the time came where he had to decide between his career and caring for his wife and this is what he writes when the time came the decision was firm it took no calculation it was a matter of integrity had I not promised 42 years earlier that in sickness and in health and until death do us part this was the grim duty to which I stoically resigned it was only fair she had cared for me with marvelous devotion for so many years. If I cared for her for 40, I would never be out of her debt. It is more than keeping a promise or being fair, however, as I watch her brave descent into oblivion. Muriel is the joy of my life. Daily I discern new manifestations of the kind of person Muriel is the wife I have always loved that my friends is what it means to be the right person so we come to the end of the message and we're in a time in our country where we cannot just come to church and hear a message and get smarter about the bible Every time we come together, we are in a state of urgency. We have to act, not just me, but you. You have to act if you want to grab hold of this life. And so I'm going to ask you to do something uncomfortable, <laughs> whether you're here, Speedway, or watching online. Those of you watching online saying, say, Man, I'm so glad I'm online today. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what, it, it's, it's not as uncomfortable as you will be with lawyers at a divorce court. So I'm going to ask Roseanne to come out, and uh, we're going to model this together. Yes. Oh, there she is. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm a busy with that. Uh, we even dress alike. <laughs> we are so tight. Here we go. So uh, I'm going to... Um, model this for you first, and then I'm going to invite uh, all the married couples here, Lenexa Speedway. Uh, if you're courageous to do this uh, with uh, with me and Roseanne, and uh, if you want to do this with uh, maybe your 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 kids, or if your wife or husband's not here, or you're single again, or your or students, you could do it with one another. But I want you to to see this. Okay. So first of all, I want you to get into the uh, fighting mode, right? Okay, fighting mode. Uh, this represents uh, always getting my way. And this one one represents uh, always being right, okay? All right, now I want you to put yourself in the receiving position. (laughs) Okay, ready? Roseanne, I give up my need to always get my way. Roseanne, I surrender my need to always be right. Roseanne, I am committing to becoming more like Jesus for your sake. All right, stand to your feet. Everybody to your feet, particularly if you're a married couple. Here we go. I'm going to do it first. I'm going to do it first. You can follow me. And then, uh, the, and then uh, spouses, you follow, okay? All right. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Say it out loud with me. I surrender the need to always get my way. I surrender the need to always be right. And I commit to becoming Jesus for your sake. And then give him a kiss. All right. Okay. All right. Turn around. Roseanne's gonna now offer it to me. Here we go. Ready? I, Randy, I surrender my right to always have my way. I surrender my right, my need to always be right, and I commit myself to becoming more like Jesus for your sake. I love the kisses. I've never heard so much kissing in church in all my life. Come on, that is pretty exciting, huh? Okay, I'm going to do a little remix of the song. Met you on a springtime day You were minding your life and I was minding mine too But baby, when you looked my way I had a strange sensation And darling, that's when I knew Oh, I'm glad to belong to no one else I'll be the right one from now on Oh, I'm glad to belong to no one else I'll be the right one from now on. Woo! All right. Woo! All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word, that even when we don't like it, even we don't understand it, even when you call for us to empty ourselves, we trust in you because you are the good, good Father that is leading us into pla- paths of blessing, And we so desperately want that for everybody that is hearing this message today. To not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Entering into a trusting relationship with you. That you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can make them day by day a little bit more like your son Jesus. And that is awesome. And so now as we enter into this time of worship, Father, may we do just that. May we receive the love that you have for us, that pure agape love. And then even in this moment, in this hour, may we pure that toxic free love out to the people right around us, particularly to our mates. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said.